Money FM 89.3, best of your money. Read with Michelle Martin on Your Money, only on Money FM 89.3. The act of innovating is not the exclusive domain of brilliant leaders at the top of an organization's hierarchy. It is everybody's job. But how do you weave innovation into the DNA of a company? We're about to find out. We are reading Built to Innovate, a book written by Ben M. Ben Sao, Professor of Technology Management and Asian Business and Comparative Management at INSEAD. Professor, welcome. Congratulations on the launch of your book last month. Good morning. Good morning, Michelle, and thank you for having me. Yes, this is a very exciting time. All right. Help us understand why you've decided to focus on the domain of innovation. Well, I've uh, I've started to uh, work uh, in my... uh, during my PhD on uh, Japanese firms and how they were able to actually change the production system. And I was really intrigued on trying to understand how Japanese companies were successful and whether they would continue to be uh, dominant even in the world of innovation. And innovation is necessary for any organization to be able to survive in a very uncertain and fast-changing environment. So the book talks about how they're twin engines, um, execution and innovation, and how very often people think innovation is a domain of, you know, the brilliant leaders and employees are meant to execute. How does your book challenge that? Yes, I think that uh, a lot of companies struggle with innovation. And uh, one of the reasons they struggle with innovation is that they very often equate innovation with launching a a new blockbuster uh, product or, or creating developing uh, a life-changing business model. Many also, like you say, think that you need to have a genius leader or to be a startup to innovate. That's not true. Uh, During my research, I found many established, uh, even centuries-old companies able to innovate. How? Well, they don't focus only on uh, trying to uh, look for industry-changing effects, but for small and important changes very often in unexpected places. Now, how they do that? They uh, rely on continuous innovation, innovation of all kinds and driven by everyone in the organization. And that's exactly what uh, Built Innovate is about. It's about how do you embed continuous and systematic innovation in any organization? And what, what is your read of companies that are able to sustain innovation? What are they doing differently? Apple, for example, um, thought of as a company that spearheaded innovation and then criticized for lack of innovation after Steve Jobs' demise. So again, we hear that narrative of what happens when that great leader goes. How can companies sustain innovation? Yes, I mean, in, in the book, I t- talk about uh, many organizations, not necessarily quite known organizations that are extremely innovative. And what they do is that they they, they built what I call uh, an innovating engine. Mm. Uh, uh, within the organization, they built a, a, a protected, fully legitimized space where everyone can innovate, not only your genius leaders and, and your brilliant scientists in the R&D department, you can innovate in everything you do, not only in your product and services, but also in your processes and internal functions. And innovating 
becomes a habit, not the sporadic spur of creativity when you have a crisis. Uh, so, and to come back to uh, Amazon, and I could even, uh, uh, Apple, actually, I could talk about Amazon. Amazon is the same case. I mean, uh, I would say that uh, under Tim Cook or uh, Andy Jassy, Apple and Amazon uh, are still very successful. And I could argue that they are uh, very innovative. They have very innovative organizations in spite of the fact that they're not run by their genius founders and they haven't delivered some sort of a disruptive innovation, but they have a fantastic innovating engine driving the company. I wonder if you can share a little bit more about, you know, what goes into the building of this innovative engine. For example, in the book, you talk about a shift in mindset from the supplier side view to the customer point of view. Can you elaborate? Yes, I mean, everybody would understand that uh, innovating is about, or innovation is about uh, looking and, and developing and, and implementing new ideas that create value for uh, for a customer. Mm-hmm. And the customer, in my mind, can be an internal customer or an external customer. And to better understand the customer, you need to really uh, switch. You have to switch your mindset from the traditional execution kind of mindset, which is supply-side driven to a customer-side uh, uh, approach where you, you, you face really three challenges. Uh, um, I might mention, uh, you know, in detail about two, but one is to really listen to the, what I call the, I mean, everybody calls the voice of the customers. Uh, what are the, what are the pain points, the, the, I mean, the dislikes, the likes and the, and the wishes that customers are expressing. And when you do this, the critical thing is to learn how to switch your mind from, from the usual tell mode or, or even worse, sell mode to really the, the listen mode and listen with, with, with a lot of empathy. Then the second challenge is to listen to what I call the silence of the customer. The things they don't tell you. Either, I mean, they don't tell you either because they don't know of the problem themselves or they might know of the problem, but they might not talk to you about it because they don't think it's your job to fix it. So maybe I can give you a, a quick example. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, this is a, a, about, a, a, I mean, a few examples in the book, but uh, this is a Turkish company called Korsa. They manufacture fabric that reinforces tires for the automotive, automotive industry. And at Korsa, they have a regular practice by which they send cross-disciplinary teams, on a regular basis, they send these cross-disciplinary teams to their customers' plants. And they, what is fascinating is that these teams, they live on the plants, they literally camp on the plants a few days at a time and roam around talking, observing and talking to people about what they see. At one plant, one team once noticed that the, the customer workers were having difficulties to ha- safely handle some some f- rolls of fabric that were loaded on a, on a truck. And immediately they understood that they were peeking into a problem that they never heard before. The customer never talked to them about it. So either the customer didn't know about it or they didn't think it was for the supplier to fix it for them. So what Corsa did is that they remedied the problem. They went back and they developed a simple improved method for handling 
the, uh, the, the the uploading of the of of of, of the of the roles. They trained the customer uh, workers and they helped them reduce the resources from. Uh, uh, let me be clear: thirty minutes, thirty minutes for three people to twelve minutes with one worker. So this is what I call the silence of the customer. Mm. The customer has a problem. They're kind of struggling with it, Mm -hmm. but they would never think about telling you about it. And I would just quickly say a third challenge is to learn from what uh, we call non-customers. And who would be the non-customers? So non-customers are anybody within the ecosystem that might have a relationship to your product. So it's, you know, everybody focuses on the, on the end user or the customer, mm-hmm. but you can create innovation for, like we said, for a supplier. You can uh, focus on the regulator. You can focus on the influencer. You have many people within the, uh, I mean, again, I could give you an example if, uh, if we have time. Sure. This is a, a company called Ecosam in Europe. Mm-hmm. Again, this is a very traditional business. They are in the uh, cement business. Okay. And what happened is that they, they developed a new technology uh, based on, I mean, it's called C- GGBS, Ground Graduated Land Furnace uh, uh, Slag. And this technology is a substitute for cement with a much lower carbon footprint and they, it happens to also be a byproduct of the steel industry. So by any kind of uh, uh, standard. This is a much better product for the environment, with very strong performance, equal equal to Portland cement, the traditional one. The problem is that when each time the the, the ecosystem goes to the customers, the competitors are convincing the customers that this is not the technology they should adopt. So instead of fighting, uh, you know, to win over the customers, what Donald O'Ryan, the CEO, he spent four years working with the regulators to introduce, to bring in people in the body of regulators, people who would know about this technology. And it took him four years to have the regulators in France actually accept and, and, and certify this new technology. And then the customers came. So you see, the innovation was not trying to convince the, the customers of the product because the product is excellent, mm-hmm. but it was to work on the regulators. This is what I would call non-customers. I'm reading Built to Innovate and the book's author, Professor Ben Ben Sao, Professor of Technology Management and Asian Business and Comparative Management at INSEA, joins me live right now. Professor, when we talk about expecting you, everybody to innovate, in this day and age, how important is it that everybody has access to the data that is the lifeblood of companies in order to sort of, you know, read been beyond their limited job scope. How important is access to data for everyone to innovate? Yes, I think the data data is very important. And as you kind of already know, I mean, uh, you know, saying yourself is that uh, it's important that everybody gets involved in innovating. And the key information to get is the information, I mean, the information about the customer. Mm-hmm. And you can see that anybody in the company has has a customer. Mm-hmm. Whether this is the external customer or the internal customer, and there are many ways that they can have access to in innovation. Uh, I mean, to have access to the information, it just takes a few. Um, I would say maybe thirty minutes to spend time with with an internal and external customer to just switch your mind from from an execution mode to, uh, as I was calling it, a listening mode, and you get a lot of information. Of course, it's important that people get access to the the, the, the digital information that is available. So, in essence, 
what I'm trying to say is that you know, in innovative organizations, uh, people operate under two modes. In fact, the companies are driven by two engines. One is an execution engine and the other is the innovating engine. And it is important that every employee gets involved you know, in both engines. Of course, most people are involved in the execution engine and most part of their time. But it is very important, and I repeat, that everyone is regularly involved in the innovating engine, spend some time, even if it's uh, just representing one's department or unit in a cross-disciplinary innovating team, or like I said, spending 30 minutes twice a month to listen to the customer with empathy, and you will get the data. You will get the data. So these are very important uh, mechanisms that everybody needs to be involved in. I wonder if you can share some real-world examples of companies that have successfully built innovation in terms of what you're talking about into their company's DNA. I mean, again, the book is is has many many examples of uh, of companies that have uh, done that. But uh, maybe I can I can speak to uh, about uh, the case of Bayer. Mm-hmm. Uh, the global pharmacology and life science uh, company based in Germany. Most people know that, you know, uh, Bayer has a a long history of uh, scientific uh, achievements uh, driven by their R&D and, uh, you know, uh, superb scientists. But in, in yet, in 2014, Bayer decided to create an innovating engine to enlist and leverage the innovating capabilities of the 100,000 employees working in the company. How did they do this? First, they made the whole board responsible for innovation. Then they selected 80 senior managers across all country groups and global functions to support the board as innovation ambassadors. Mm -hmm. And these ambassadors would spend most of their time with middle managers, you know, explaining, uh, advocating, sponsoring innovation. And then they did something really interesting. They created a fantastic support system for middle managers. Mm -hmm. Between 2016 and 2020, they trained and certified a thousand innovation coaches that were activated locally across the company. And then, uh, finally, Bayer created WeSolve. It's a digital platform where anyone uh, in the company uh, can post uh, uh, you know, information about the problem they're struggling with and invite ideas and input from anyone across the whole organization. So they, they actually, I had a chance to visit the platform. I mean, at any given time, mm-hmm. they have about 800 challenges posted on the platform. Uh, and, then, and then between uh, up to now, they have 40,000 people, 40,000 people who have enrolled in, the, in, in, in WeSolve. Now, the, the most interesting, actually, if you allow me, the most interesting statistics I've seen mm-hmm. is that uh, out of the best ideas that are proposed for for the challenges that are posted on platform two third two third of the best ideas actually come from a department which is different from the one where the person working posted the challenge very interesting very mm. interesting because that shows you how they have been able to create a systematic way to 
enlarge, you know, and 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 and, and leverage the capabilities mm. of everyone across the organization. So this is a very good example of a systematic innovating engine, if you will. Professor, the ideas in, in this book remind me of you're joining us from Japan. And in Japan, there is right. a philosophy Absolutely. of Kaizen, yes. of continuous Absolutely. improvement, right? So um, do you build on this, this idea? Ab- absolutely. Of course, my my my, uh, my influences are very clear. I mean, uh, I've, I've, well, I was I, w- I was part of uh, uh, some of the research teams at MIT who investigated the, uh, as I said earlier, investigated uh, you know Japan total quality movement, Japan production system, um, and and then I got involved uh, uh, with innovation and and the, the the blue ocean strategy team at INSEAD, and yes, I I, I certainly. Uh, accept that this is an extension of, let's call it the total quality management movement to the total innovation management, where the idea is really to leverage the capability of everyone in the organization, but in a very systematic Mm. uh, uh, manner. Well, before we let you go, Professor, if there's one idea you'd like leaders listening in uh, to take away about your book, what would that be? Or I would say that the most important thing for leaders uh, is to uh, give permission, especially senior leaders need to understand that they need to give permission to people to innovate. I mean, the second idea that I would like to leave people with is that, uh, and this was quite a surprise for me doing the research, is that middle managers are key to innovations. Innovation would not happen without middle managers, and I think they are very often overlooked. Uh, so I think it, it is very important to spend time convincing, training, supporting middle managers because senior leaders, they don't have any problem with innovation. They understand it. Yeah. Frontline people, they are there facing customers, non-customers all the time. They understand the, the importance of innovation. But middle managers are very often incentivized on execution mm. and they are kind of shielded of the direct pressure of innovation. All right. Well, great ideas. Thank you so much for walking us through some of the key concepts of your book. Professor Ben Ben Sao telling us more about his book, Built to Innovate, which is our featured read today. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.